Welcome to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Today's message will be brought to us by one of the men in our church that serve in the teaching ministry. So let's take our Bibles and prepare our hearts as one of the men in our church bring forth God's truth to us today. Good evening and welcome to the Wednesday evening service here with Fellowship Baptist Church. I hope everybody had a great day today. So one thing you've if you've been following our uh, morning devotions, one thing you'll notice, uh, a goof that I do a lot, is I forget to unmute um, our mics before we start. And so I once again did that, and I looked down and I saw that it was muted. Got my computer right here below me. So anyways, the sound is on, praise the Lord. I tell you what, the worst thing that I could think of happening is doing this whole live stream. (laughs) And the sound being muted the whole time. Now, you guys might appreciate that and you might enjoy that, but that would literally be the worst uh, for me. So I'm glad. Uh, Hopefully, the sound is on. Hopefully, everybody, everything is working. And uh, anyways, just want to thank you so much for joining us here tonight. Hey, what a beautiful day today we had. Thank goodness. What a blessing to be able to see the sun shining. And I hear it's supposed to be getting warm. I heard it's supposed to be possibly getting into the 80s, and uh, so looking forward to that. Uh, but now that means I got to fix my air conditioner because my air conditioner went out at the end of last year. I, I took it in to see how much it would cost to get it fixed, and they said it's going to cost around $600. And anyways, I did a lot of my own homework, and I think I can fix it myself for around $100. So fingers crossed. I'm going to be diving into that probably next week and uh, trying to get that fixed. But anyways, uh, what a beautiful day. And uh, I'm just glad that you're all with us here tonight and joining us for the Wednesday evening service. Now I'm going to check my time because I told my wife, my goal is to teach no more than 30 minutes. Okay. So I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but my goal is really to stick to a 30 minute lesson tonight and not to go overboard. So I've been working on putting together shorter lessons than I typically do and really trying to keep it within that 30 minute time frame. So anyways, fingers crossed. Let's see if we can do it. But uh, tonight we're going to be in Matthew chapter five. I'm looking forward to teaching through the Beatitudes, all right? The Beatitudes. This is also known as the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that Jesus taught. I've just been thoroughly enjoying studying through this passage and uh, look forward to sharing with you uh, some of the things that God's been sharing with me and the Lord's really been working in my heart and my life. And uh, just looking forward to, uh, uh, you know, just sharing that with you and maybe just all of us growing together through this passage. But here we are in Matthew chapter 5. Now we're only going to be in verses 1 through 2. If you've been joining us for our our morning devotions with Pastor White, we've been working through the um, how to discern God's will. And uh, if there is one thing for some reason that God, uh, I don't know, but if, if it's a gift or a curse... But when I'm going through a passage, man, it seems like every verse we can just camp out on and God just shows, you know, just just meditating on that verse and just seeing a lot of truths that come from it. And so, um, so anyways, that's kind of what we're going to be doing. So every week we'll be taking a different one of the Beatitudes and seeing what God has to teach us from that Beatitude. And actually tonight's lesson, we're not even going to get into the Beatitudes. It's going to be the pre-Beatitude 
uh, lesson and getting into it, but I, I really love this lesson, really um, uh, appreciated what God showed me from this passage, and, and hopefully it'll be a blessing to you as well. So here we are in Matthew chapter 5, and we are going to be in verses 1 through 2. It says, and seeing the multitude, talking about Jesus, so Jesus is there, he sees the multitude, and seeing the multitude, he, Jesus, and seeing the multitude, he went up into the mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. Let's pray. Dear Lord, just thank you for this day. Thank you for all your wonderful blessings, Lord. Uh, I just pray that you'll bless this lesson tonight. Show us some truths from your word. Just help us to become more like you as we study through this passage and just see the, the truths that you bring forth in uh, the scriptures and the holy inspired scriptures and the truth that you have within there and, and how we can just draw out these truths and apply it to our life. I pray all these things in your holy precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Let me ask you this. Or oh, actually, before before we get into our lesson, let's. I just want to. I, I kind of just want to share this with you. This is something that uh, my good friend and brother-in-law Jacob Miracle shared with me, and this is ten ways the coronavirus is like my preaching. Thank you, Jacob, for sharing this with me. I found these things to be uh, quite accurate as I was uh, reading through them. Okay, so hopefully you enjoy this. 10 ways the coronavirus is like my preaching. Number one, it just keeps getting worse. Thank you, Jacob. Number two, ways my preaching is like the coronavirus. People are constantly asking, is it over yet? <laughs> Number three, the young folks just aren't taking it seriously. Number four, you're, you more than likely will not get it. Number five, the people most affected by it are the senior citizens. Number six, it just makes it easier to stay at home. Number seven, it's shut down a whole lot of churches. Number eight, people are making a lot of grocery lists. Number nine, people want to hurry up and people want it to hurry up and end so they can be the first ones to the restaurants. And lastly, the way my preaching is like the coronavirus. Once it started, it seemed like everybody had to go to the bathroom at the same time. <laughs> okay, so what's scary is how accurate that actually is. So thank you, Jacob. Thank you for sending that to me. Um, and thank you for uh, uh, showing me some, some things uh, from that and helping me to observe some of those things. But... <laughs> Anyways, let's get into our lesson tonight. Um, let me ask you this question. Have you ever seen um, a, a catastrophe in your life, maybe through the news, uh, you know, uh, some type of global catastrophe that's taken place? Well, obviously right now we're, we're dealing with the coronavirus, hence the teaching from my office. <laughs> but um, uh, we're, now we're dealing with the coronavirus, a global pandemic. But I think about also like the tsunami that hit in Japan in 2011. Uh, there was an earthquake that triggered a tsunami, a massive tsunami that flooded more than 200 square miles of coastal land. That yeah, was in 2011. I remember watching that on the news and seeing some of the videos of that tsunami that took place. I remember when I uh, lived over in the Philippines 
and some of the catastrophes that took place while I was living there. And most specifically, those came from uh, um, typhoons that would come through. And typhoons are just massive, massive storms. I mean, imagine like a, a thunderstorm or something that we have here in times like 50. It's just crazy uh, uh, what um, typhoons can do. And like, you know, normally water, rain falls down, like in a typhoon, water literally is like going um, horizontal. It's because the winds are blowing so hard and things aren't built well there. And it could cause major problems in the Philippines. Uh, or I think about my good friend, um, Pastor Hester, who lives down in Key West and how they got hit not too long ago with that um, uh, hurricane that came through and just devastated Key West, Florida. Or uh, maybe like uh, that earthquake that hit Haiti in 2010. The earthquake that hit Haiti was a death toll of more than 230 thousand people that's just mind-boggling and uh, you know that each one of these leave devastation in their wake but this is what I want you to think about so imagine there's like a catastrophe let's imagine the earthquake okay and um, and uh, so we got this earthquake it's happening and and uh, there's so there's obviously a need for help right there's a lot of needs a lot of physical a lot of uh, health needs, a lot of things going on at this time. So we have two doctors, okay? Uh, uh, doctor one, let's call him Dr. Joe. So let, let's, let's just use the Haiti situation. So he gets on a helicopter and he's flying out to Haiti. And he's like, I'm going to help. Uh, I want to volunteer. I want to I minister and, and just do what I can with the gifts that I have to be able to help out here at Haiti. So he gets there. Uh, uh, Dr. Joe... He lands, he hits boots on the ground, he hits it, and he sees the first problem right there. You know, uh, you know maybe it's somebody with, with uh, a hurt hand. And he runs over there and he starts helping and he starts uh, sharing with these people, this is how you figure, and he starts, just starts working on them. And, and then all of a sudden he looks over and, and somebody else, you know, they got a hurt arm. Well, I mean, this hurt hand is bad, but the hurt, hurt arm is worse. So he goes over and, you know, it's just a more significant problem. So he jumps over and starts helping this person who just has this massively hurt arm. Then he looks over and there's somebody that got two arms. They're both broken. And he's like, oh my goodness, listen, you person with the hurt arm, I, I'll be right back with you. I mean, this person's, both of their arms is hurt. Both of their arms are broken. And he jumps over and, and starts helping them. And and, you know, just one person after another keep coming to him. And each situation is, is more significant than the last. Each situation that he's dealing with is, is, is a bigger problem than the one before. So there's a, there's a bottomless heap of problems that he's dealing with and trying to help. Now, we would all say that, that uh, Dr. Joe is doing a great thing. And he's there helping and trying to do what he can. So that's Dr. One. He spends all his time dealing with need after need after need after need. All right, now there's another doctor. And this is Dr. Tim. And uh, Dr. Tim is, does the exact same thing as Dr. Joe. He sees the need and he wants to get over there and he really wants to help out uh, with the needs happening there uh, in Haiti. So he gets on a helicopter, goes, and he lands about 10 miles away. And he hits the ground and, and uh, you know, you, uh, as the helicopter's coming in, all of these, these Haitians are looking up longingly. And um, they see him and, 
you know, they can tell he's a doctor. Maybe he's got like, you know, he's got that doctor look and, and he's got maybe like a bag of supplies and, and they see him and they're so excited. And they're like, finally, somebody's here to help us. And uh, Dr. Tim, uh, this is doctor number two. He jumps off the helicopter and, and he runs right past all of these people who are in need. All of these people are around him, hurting, in need, in pain. And he runs past them. And you'd be like, what, what are you doing? Look at all these people that need your help. And he spends the first six hours that he's there, six, seven hours, going around and finding healthy people. People who don't need, really need help. There's so many people that need help, but people that don't need help. And you're like, why, why are you spending your time going around and find, finding healthy people? And he, he finds these healthy people. He rounds up about 30 healthy men and women and brings them all together. Brings them back to that original spot where he landed. And, and he looks at these healthy people and he says, hey, you four, I want you to go. You're in charge of patient submission. I want you to organize the people that are here in order of most significant need to, to least significant. So, so you four, you go get that organized. You five, I'm going to teach you how to, how to set broken arms and, and how to set broken, broken bones and how, and how to do that and how to get those fixed. And, and, and you four, I want you four to go start distributing. We got a, a big truck coming in with, with supplies and I want you four to organize the distribution of those supplies. And you five, you're, you're gonna help me with surgeries. Don't worry, I'm gonna walk you through the process. I know you've never done it, but, but I'm here, I'm gonna walk you through. And you five, you're gonna help me, you're gonna be my personal assistants helping me do, do the surgeries. Here's uh, what I wanna ask you. Which doctor do you think is gonna be more successful in the long run, in a week, in two weeks? in a year, which one's gonna be more successful? Is it going to be the one that just is number one, uh, doctor number one? Uh, uh, the doctor that just keeps running from need to need to need and just trying to manage this all himself and trying to, you know, just always, there's always a bigger problem that he's running to and just constantly uh, uh, running himself ragged? Or is it gonna be doctor number two who has split his time between both ministering to the people that need help and helping them and split his time between that and then also split his time between working with people that were healthy and working with people that are good and, and teaching them and bringing them together and unifying them together and, 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 and helping them as a group to minister to these people. Now, now I, I know that was kind of a long illustration, but there's a point to all of this because I, I think this is, uh, that story, it has a lot to do with what's going on, what, what I believe is going on in this passage. So let's look here once again, Matthew chapter five, verses one through verse two. It says, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountain and when he was set, his disciples came unto him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, and then Jesus then proceeds to teach the Beatitudes. So let's look here. Uh, so Jesus is looking out over the multitudes of people and he sees people in need and seeing the multitudes, right? So Jesus is standing there. He's seeing the multitudes. He's looking out and he sees people with needs. And we know that studying through the passage and studying through especially the gospels, when Jesus sees people with need, the Bible says often when Jesus would look at the multitudes, the Bible says he was 
moved with compassion. So, so Jesus was moved with compassion on the multitudes. He loved these people. Uh, he saw their needs. He saw, he saw their physical needs. Uh, we, we, uh, we know he saw his physical needs from the, from the story of when he fed the 5,000, right? And he ministered to the physical needs of people. Uh, Jesus saw their spiritual needs. Obviously, that was the main thing Jesus was focused on, was the spiritual needs of the people around him, the spiritual needs of the multitude. He saw their relational needs. He saw their emotional needs. Uh, Jesus was observant to their cultural needs as well. And, they, and, 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 and these multitudes are all looking to Jesus. They're, they're looking to him to help meet their needs. They're looking to Jesus longingly. Jesus, meet, help meet these needs that we have. And um, um, something we notice uh, is that the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to notice this, the Sermon on the Mount, it really seems to be primarily for his disciples, not the multitudes. This, the, the teachings that Jesus gives here seem to be primarily geared towards his disciples, not necessarily the multitudes. Look what it says here, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, so Jesus sees the multitudes, he sees the multi- all these multitudes of people that are there, and I don't know how many it is, but let's just say 5,000, right? So that's like before Jesus was ministering to the, to the 5,000 and preaching and teaching to them. So let's just use that as a, as a number. It doesn't say for sure, but let's just say that. Seeing the multitudes, what did he do? He went up into a mountain. And when he was set, so Jesus goes up into the mountain, and then he sits down. And I just imagine in my head, there's just like a big rock there, right? And he sits down on this rock. That's just the way I imagine it. I don't know. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. So Jesus sees the multitude, he goes up into the mountain, sits down on this, this big old giant rock, and then his disciples come unto him. And I just imagine he's sitting there and his disciples just kind of sitting around the master, just sitting around getting ready to hear the, the master teach. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So Jesus is there and he starts to teach his disciples. And then he goes on to teach the Beatitudes and obviously lots of other things. And so, so Jesus could have, you know, so Jesus is there, he sees the multitudes, and, and we know that Jesus was moved with compassion on the multitudes, and, and Jesus could have taken care of all these needs of the multitudes just like that, couldn't he have? He could have just said the word and taken care of all the needs of the multitudes. We see in other places where Jesus took care of the physical needs of the multitudes, with the feeding of the 5,000. But, but, but here's the thing. Jesus knew that he was leaving. Jesus knew that in not too long, he was going to be crucified on the cross. He was no longer going to be here. He knew he wasn't always going to be there to help his disciples. He knew he wasn't always going to be there to, to lead his disciples. He knew he had to begin preparing them for their ministry to the multitudes. Jesus couldn't continue ministering to the multitudes by himself. He had to begin preparing and mentoring and teaching his disciples how to minister and teach and mentor and take care of the multitudes of people. He was training them to work, to teach, to minister. He was teaching them to evangelize the lost and dying world. And then he was teaching the disciples how to teach others to do that same thing. 
Now, now we know that as Jesus was sitting there teaching his disciples, we know that there was more people listening. We know that there was more people around because it says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29, it says, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not not as the scribe. So we know that there's more people here. But it does seem, uh, as you read, especially in verses 1 through 2, that this, as Jesus sat, and, and it says, as his disciples came unto him, that this lessons, these teachings, were for his disciples. I want you to think about the significance of this decision that Jesus makes. All of these people needed him, right? Thousands, imagine thousands of people. We don't know the exact number, but it says a multitude. Let's just imagine thousands of people. So thousands of people need him. All of these people want a piece of Jesus. And yet he says no. Not that Jesus didn't minister. Jesus ministered to the multitudes multiple times throughout throughout the scriptures. He's ministered to the multitudes. But at this time, he says no to something that's good, which is ministering to the multitudes. He says no to doing something good to say yes to doing something more important. Um, How long was he with his disciples up there in the mountain? We don't know exactly. It could have been a a few hours that he was up there mentoring and teaching them. And it could have been a day. It could have been a week. It could have been several weeks. We really don't know. All we really know is that um, uh, Jesus taught, trained, and mentored his disciples from from Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, to Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. Because it simply says, when he came down from the mountain, the multitudes followed him. So we know that Jesus was there teaching from from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 8. All right, so that's the time. And as you look through that, this really focused training and mentoring of his disciples, Jesus made it a priority to teach, to train, to mentor, and to invest in his disciples. Here's what I want to ask you. Who are you personally investing in? Who are you personally investing in spiritually? Who? Who are you personally investing in spiritually? Who are you personally investing in Maybe emotionally. Who are you personally investing in financially? I think of how we personally invest in our missionaries financially, right? And so many others. But who personally, I'm not talking about generally giving to the church, which is awesome. We need to do that. That's the way God created it to work. But personally, I mean the person that you're, you are touching, all right? Not physically really, but, but, but who's immediate your life is connecting with. Who is it that you're investing in? Who are you personally investing in? Are there people that you are mentoring, teaching them the things that God has taught you, teaching them how biblical truth is relevant to their lives? Teaching them what God says about money. Teaching them what God says about trials. Teaching them what God says about relationships. Teaching them what God says about everyday life. Who are, there, who, who are you just living life with 
and using the everyday situations of life to mentor and teach and invest in them. You know, as we see Jesus mentoring and teaching his disciples, we see him doing it in many different ways. We see him doing times of focused training, like we see here in this passage, where he's giving them focused training. But then we also see so much of Jesus' training with his disciples in just their every day-to-day life as they're going along, just living life, and, and a situation will come along their way. And Jesus uses that as an opportunity to teach his disciples biblical truth, to teach his disciples truths about God, to teach his disciples truths about relationships, about the gospel, about ministry, about love, about all of these things, just through situations that come through their day-to-day lives. Are there people, who are you mentoring? Who are you just investing your life in? Let me ask you this, are you Mentoring and teaching people to take your place. This is what Jesus was doing. I mean, who's supposed to take Jesus' place, right? I mean, what if you were asked, like, what if they're like, hey, this is God. God's doing this project and God's, you know, God's in charge of, I mean, God, right? Like Jesus Christ. And he's doing this and, and you're going you're gonna to take his place when he leaves. Wow. Talk about pressure, right? I mean, who could take God's, like God's doing this and, and now the job he's doing is being entrusted to you? This is what his disciples were. Jesus, God in the flesh, was here for a specific mission and a specific purpose. Specific. Specific purpose. Man, I'm like my dad, right? With the thing Sunday. Anyways. Um, Uh, For a specific purpose, Jesus Christ is here, the ministry of the gospel. And Jesus knew that he had to leave. Jesus knew he wasn't going to be here forever. And he knew that his time here on earth was temporary. He knew this was a temporary time that he was going to be here. And he knew that in order for the gospel to go forth and for God to accomplish the mission that God had sent Jesus Christ here to do, He was going to have to teach, mentor, train, invest, and to trust men, others, to continue on this mission, to continue on this job, to continue on this calling of the spread of the gospel, the most important message that has ever come to mankind. Let me ask you this. Who are you investing in and teaching to take your place? You know, we can do this as parents. Um, Our goal as parents is not to teach our children that they can't survive in life without us. (laughs) Okay? That's not our job as parents. It's to to teach our kids that, listen, once you, if you need me, (laughs) I'm a big deal. I'm your parent. I'm your dad. I'm your mom. Don't you even think you can make it without me? That's not our job as parents. Our job as parents is to to teach our children and to prepare them to be successful adults, to teach them how to, uh, you know, solve problems on their own and how to deal with things on their own, how to, uh, a big part of being a parent is to teach your kids how to reach out for help and how to to find people that are better than they are. And, And, you know, it's not to try to teach our kids that, hey, you know, I'm a big deal. You can't make it without me. It's to teach them that they can make it without you. And uh, to to ultimately, hopefully, teach your kids and and mentor them and train them. And then hopefully for them to become parents themselves, right? I think that's 
That's the goal of being a parent. Um, uh, but we, you and I, we should be teaching people to take our place as parents. Uh, we should be teaching our, our people, our, teaching our kids to take our place as parents. We should be teaching um, others to take our place as ministry workers, right? Um, we should be, if you're involved in the work of the ministry, there should be somebody that you're there teaching and mentoring and, and teaching them how to do what you are doing. We should be doing that as ministry workers. Uh, we should be doing this in the secular workforce, right? Uh, teaching people how to, to take our place and have somebody that we're teaching to take over whatever area of work that we are doing. Listen, we're all replaceable, okay? We're all replaceable. And I think that the sooner we recognize that, the better. But most importantly, more than, more than teaching our kids how to be successful adults and parents, more than training and mentoring people to take over our positions as ministry-wise or, or to take over our positions in the workforce, more importantly than all of that, we should be doing this as Christians. We should be teaching others how they can know Jesus Christ. We should be sharing the gospel with others, teaching others how they can know Jesus Christ, teaching others by, by discipling them in the things of the Lord, by walking through life with them, and then teaching them how to share the gospel with someone else, teaching them how to disciple someone else, teaching them how to then teach that other person how to share the gospel and how to disciple. We should be mentoring and investing in people spiritually. But let me ask you this. Are you mentoring others or do you have what's called a Messiah complex? Do you know what a Messiah complex is? A Messiah complex is when we think that we say stuff like this. I'm the only one that can do this. You know, everybody needs me. I'm a big deal. <laughs> I'm a big deal. You know, what would, if I left, this whole place would fall apart. You know, uh, That's the, that Messiah complex type of thing. I'm the only one capable of taking care of this need. That could be at home, at work, at church, anywhere. I'm the only one capable of doing this. Uh, I'm the only one smart enough to do this. I'm the only one trustworthy. I just can't trust anybody else to take over this or to do this such and such a thing. And I don't really know what it is. It can be different for all of us. I just can't trust anybody else to help or to take over this position. Nobody will do as good a job as me. You know, I've struggled with that myself. And uh, do you ever struggle with this type of mindset like I do? Either number one, it's that pride. It's that inflated view of our own worth. You know, pastor talked a lot about pride in, in last Sunday's message. But number one, some of the reasons we have these Messiah complexes is we have an inflated view of our own worth. Or number two, and I've struggled with both of these, insecurities. We, 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 we need to feel needed. We're, we're afraid of, of not being relevant anymore, or we're afraid of not being needed. You know, I don't want to teach or mentor other people because then they won't need me. Just another, another, uh, another way pride shows forth in our lives. The insecurities of not feeling needed, not feeling like you know, we, we need to be that, that one person, you know, like, have you ever heard those people that are always like talking about who's your favorite? Am I your favorite? Am I your favorite? 
Those are just insecurities that we deal with. God created Christianity to work on an evangelism slash discipleship model. Share the gospel, lead someone to Christ, teach them the things the Bible teaches, teach them and give them the opportunity to get involved in the work of the Lord, teach them how to share the gospel, now coming back to full circle, teach them how to share what they have learned uh, from the scriptures with others, and teach them how to disciple others. That's the way God created it to work. And just think, God's entrusted us. Honestly, let's all be honest. We shouldn't be trusted with, with what God has entrusted us with. You know, if we're all honest and we're like, if people really only knew how little I know, or if people really only knew, uh, you know, how much I don't know what I'm doing, like nobody would trust me with anything. Let's just all be honest, right? But for some reason, God's entrusted each and every one of us with, with something in our lives. And we need to entrust and mentor and invest in other people. It's the way God created Christianity to work. I mentioned this verse uh, this morning in our devotional time, but uh, Paul says to Timothy, <clears throat> in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. So he's saying, you heard me teaching the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, you know, the things that I've taught, all the time that Paul spent with Timothy, investing in him, mentoring him personally. All of those things, Timothy, now you go and you now reproduce yourself in the life of somebody else. The things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same, those same things that I mentored and taught you in, the same commit thou to faithful men. Timothy, go find some faithful men and I want you to start reproducing yourself in them. Teach the things I have taught to you, I now want you to go teach to others. And the things which thou hast heard of me, many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall what? Be able to teach others also. You know, that's what's, what's great, like here on Wednesday night, we've had such a variety of, of Bible teachers. I just think uh, uh, Aaron's taught us, uh, Billy. Uh, we've had, um, now I'm teaching you tonight. Uh, we had Trent Granger. Um, I feel like there was one more person that we had. Maybe I'm missing it. But anyways, you know, how, how awesome God is using. We got pastor that, obviously our primary Bible teacher here at church. But all these men that, you know, are, are teaching. And, you know, all of those men that, that I just mentioned should also be investing in teaching others how to teach. That they might teach also. Reinvesting, re-investing re, uh, in somebody else, mentoring and teaching somebody else how to teach. Of course, we've, I've read this verse a thousand times in my life. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Jesus Christ, giving them that ultimate commission. What Jesus Christ had came here to do, he now was entrusting and trained and mentored them to go out and do the same thing. This is the job of every Christian. We have the greatest message ever communicated. The message of hope, the message of peace for a world that is lost and dying. You know, there's too many, there's too many needs in the world for any one of us to, to meet by ourselves. Uh, there's too many needs in your life and in your family and in, in our church for any one of us to meet by ourselves. We, we can't meet these needs. The only way to do it is to split our time between both 
ministering to the needs of those around us. Split our time between that and also between discipleship. Discipling people around us to minister to the needs of others. It's just the way God created it to work. And you can see it throughout all of the scriptures. We need to be working together to share the gospel and disciple others. Just like Jesus made it a priority. As you read through the gospels, he made it a priority to split his time between both ministering to the needs of people and mentoring and discipling his disciples. So we should be discipling, mentoring, training, and investing in those that God has given us. Once more time, who are you investing in? Who are you discipling? You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.